Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Daily Oz. It is Thursday, the 3rd of March. I hope all of our listeners on the east coast of Australia are staying dry and safe. It's been a wild week of weather. I got to say the whole news cycle at the moment is quite wild. We're going to do our best to take you through it. I'm being joined later in the podcast by our journalist, Tom Crowley, to talk you through sanctions and why they matter to the Russian people. Zara, what's making headlines in Australia? The death toll from the New South Wales floods has risen to four tragically after the body of a man was located in a flooded unit in Lismore yesterday afternoon. Residents in Ballina have been urged to evacuate as the town continues to experience rising river levels. Over to Europe now, and it was reported yesterday that Russia had escalated its attack on Ukraine. In Kharkiv, the second biggest city in Ukraine, missiles struck a government building and an opera house in Freedom Square, killing at least 10 people. In Ukraine's capital, Kiev, a TV tower was targeted, killing at least five people, and a nearby Holocaust memorial was damaged. The memorial is built on Europe's largest mass grave. U.S. President Joe Biden delivered the annual State of the Union address yesterday, during which he said Russian President Vladimir Putin will, quote, pay a price for invading Ukraine. Biden also announced the U.S. is banning Russian aircraft from entering U.S. airspace. An interesting piece of trivia on that one. It was actually the shortest State of the Union address Mm. in about 10 years, still over an hour, though. And today's good news, after over 700 days of border restrictions, Western Australia's borders are opening today. Triple-dosed interstate travellers can enter the state without quarantining if they complete a G2G pass and if they take a rapid antigen test within 12 hours of their arrival. Welcome back, WA. So for today's podcast, we're going to shift focus back to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but we're going to look this time at sanctions. Aggressor. Putin chose this war, and now he and his country will bear the consequences. Today, I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. This is going to impose severe cost on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. We have purposefully designed these sanctions to maximize the long-term impact on Russia. Now, sanctions probably don't sound as dramatic or as intense as some of the military language we're hearing at the moment. But, Tom, you've been looking closely at these sanctions, and I'm keen for you to explain to us today why they're in fact a big deal. To begin the conversation, give us a quick reminder, what are sanctions and why should we take this topic seriously? Thanks, Sam. So the simplest way to describe a sanction is it's a financial penalty. So we live in a global economy. Countries do all sorts of business with each other. So if you want to hurt a country, you can take away some of that business. Now, it may not sound very significant. It kind of sounds like a slap on the wrist, I think, a bit like getting away with a fine instead of going to jail. I think that's the way people tend to think about it. But that is really underestimating sanctions. When they're on the extreme end, the result can be enormously damaging, a huge depression, a huge fallout for ordinary people. And that's what seems to be brewing in Russia at the moment because of sanctions from the West. 
I'm keen to hear more about that fallout in Russia, but first, run me through what the sanctions actually are at the moment. Sure. So it's a decent list. First, the countries involved. So there's a huge spread. The US, the UK, Canada, most of Europe, Australia, Japan, Singapore, South Korea. It's a huge chunk of the world accounting for a huge portion of the global economy. And they've imposed some very serious penalties. So first, several Russian banks and a bunch of members of the Russian elite have been cut off from most forms of business with anyone in any of those countries. So they can't use the currency. They can't access any of their wealth that they hold in those countries. It's a big penalty. Then the banks have also been cut off from the major international payment system, SWIFT. So we've talked about SWIFT on the podcast before. That's the thing that most banks use to to make international transactions. So it's a sledgehammer to Russia's imports and exports. And then finally, Russia's government-owned central bank, which is like the equivalent of our reserve bank here in Australia, has also been frozen out of its foreign activities. So so they're kind of the three. And it's obvious enough, I think, when you hear that list, that if you're one of the kind of Russian elites or if you're a Russian who does a lot of international business, it's not hard to see how that's going to hurt you. But I think it is potentially less obvious how this can hurt everyday ordinary Russians. So I'm keen to get into explaining that. And so what you're talking about there is the pictures that many of our listeners and readers on Instagram may have seen of Russians queuing up outside banks and ATMs desperate to withdraw their money. So talk me through it. How do these sanctions on Russian banks and Russian elites, I know the word oligarch gets thrown around a lot, How do these sanctions make their way down to the ordinary Russian family? Right. So so it all starts with the value of Russian money. So Russian money is the ruble. And step one is the value of the ruble collapses. And we're seeing that already. So the ruble plummeted 30% on Monday to the lowest value it's ever had in its history. Now, why does that happen? It happens because nobody, no international investor wants to have a ruble if they can't buy anything with it. And so all of these restrictions from the sanctions on what you can do with a ruble makes it much less attractive to hold them. So everybody wants to get rid of them and it becomes less valuable. So what that means in real terms is that a ruble this week buys you much less than a ruble did last week. Now we've talked on the pod before about what happens when your money becomes worthless. That's what we call inflation. It can drive up the cost of living, the cost of buying groceries for everyday Russians. And and when that sort of thing is happening really quickly, like it is in Russia at the moment, people start to panic. So they become really desperate to get rid of all the rubles that they have because, you know, the rubles are sort of like a hot potato. They're worried that if they hold on to them for much longer, they'll become totally worthless. And that's what gives you the cues outside the banks. So people are desperate to withdraw all of their money and to convert it, if they can, into something else that's not plummeting in value. So that's the kind of panic stations. It's what we call a bank run. And it's the kind of thing that can happen when when things are going downhill. And that's what we're seeing at the moment in Russia. And so clearly the Russian government's focus is on an invasion. And that seems to be where, at least from the top and President Putin, they're putting a lot of their effort. But what can the Russian government do to stop this? We know that, for example, in Australia, when there's inflation or an economic crisis, the government will step in to help. Is that really an option for Russia here? So it is an option, but this is where the sanctions do their work again, because the Russian authorities have their hands tight because of the sanctions. So they've kind of had their best options taken away. So the first thing that authorities do when they're worried about inflation is they raise interest rates. Makes it more attractive to leave your money in a bank, basically, to get the interest rate. So so they're trying to stop everyone there from panicking and taking all their money and dumping it. 
So Russia jacked up its interest rate to 20%, which is huge. For contrast, our interest rate is 0.1%. So it's, it's an enormous number and it's a sign of, I guess, how desperate they are. But that's got consequences. So it flows through, for example, to mortgage rates. So mortgages have skyrocketed in the last week in Russia, which is going to really hurt any Russians who own their own homes. So, you know, the interest rate is one of the tools that government has, but it's got some costs. The other thing that central banks would normally do is buy a lot of their own currency, buy rubles themselves. So that might sound a bit strange, but what happens when you do that is you kind of artificially create demand for the ruble again and you push up the value of it because you're going to buy a whole lot of them. And central banks hold on to reserves of foreign currencies so that they can do this kind of thing in a crisis. And Russia has reserves like that. It owns a lot of foreign money, which it could be using right now to buy rubles and to try and stem the damage. But again, here's the kicker. They can't access a lot of them because of the sanctions. So again, they, they find that they've got their hand tied behind their back and they're limited in what they can do to reduce the damage. So what they've done instead is they've started demanding that Russian businesses buy the rubles for them, but that's not necessarily a great business decision for these businesses, even though it's something the government's asking of them. So you know, that could push a lot of them out of business. It could create more unemployment. So really, I guess like every different avenue we turn down here, it's not looking great. It's an absolute disaster, really, that's going to be unleashed on Russia's economy. And it's going to have some very real, very human consequences. You know, I, I think it's important to recognize that sanctions are not abstract, that they affect people in the real world. So you've used words there like disaster, human consequences. Is this as dramatic as you're making it out to be? I mean, I think it is. I mean, obviously, you've got to put it in the context of, you know, very dramatic military actions that Russia's taking on the one hand. And this is not the same as, as militarily intervening. It's not the same as the West sending its troops in, but it's very significant. So an economist that I spoke to this week described it to me as economic warfare and kind of like an economic siege. The idea is sort of that you're in a financial sense, you're blocking all the roads out of the country and you're, you're trying to starve Russia out and the West's hope is that that is so painful for Putin that he stops his invasion and changes his mind. Now, whether that works, whether Putin cares about the economic costs here, that, that's an open question. But in the meantime, it's certainly going to hurt. Russia is a world power in a military sense because of all the nuclear weapons it has. But it's important to remember Russia is not a world power in an economic sense anymore. I think this is an amazing fact. Russia's economy is about the same size as Australia's. It is very dependent on selling oil and gas, and it's not a huge economy. So cutting off its trade like this is, is really going to hurt. Tom, there's a huge amount to think about there. Thank you so much for that coverage. That's all we've got time for today on The Daily Oz. Happy Thursday, everybody. If you did like the podcast and you like having Tom talk you through the world of economic sanctions, we'd love you to rate this podcast. You can review it on Apple Music or give it a star on Spotify. That's all for today, though. We'll speak to you tomorrow.